Jay Blessed is a transparent look into the life and mind of a Caribbean woman having human experiences. Get into my mind as I share my most vulnerable thoughts and honest experiences. I'll take you on a roller coaster of emotions as you get to know someone who might share similar experiences with you. Some might make you speechless, you'll definitely laugh. Others might make you angry and some might even make you cry. But my very real, very raw, very relatable weekly podcast will always keep you coming back for more. Join me as I talk to myself, talk to you, and even talk to some special friends in my head. (laughs) In my head is an introspective look from a voyeuristic point of view. For a list of all my social channels and how you can connect with me, please view this episode's summary. To join in on the conversation, use the hashtag HeadWithJB. That's H E A D. W-I-T-H-J-B. And follow me on Instagram at RealJBlessed and Twitter at JBlessed. Let's get in on the conversation together. Don't forget to log on to my official website, JBlessed.com. A human experience from a Caribbean perspective. Episode 36, Saving Our Children and Their Education During a Pandemic. In my head. Hey fam, hey fam, hey fam, how are you doing? How are you really feeling? How are you really feeling? Listen, episode 35 with Carrie Edwards, a pandemic survival story was wow. It was, it was, it was wow. That's just Wow. Deeply emotional, definitely heartfelt. It rippled through our community because a lot of people gave such um, positive feedback on Carrie's delivery, but also the importance of having this discussion. So thank you, Carrie. Thank you so much for being a guest last week. Um, This week, I'm focusing on our children and their education. It has been tough for many parents having to deal with homeschooling their children. It's been tough for a lot of parents who are not equipped to homeschool their children. It has been tough for a lot of children navigating remote learning. It has been tough. It has been tough for teachers, educators, students, parents, and family. It has been tough on our community. The ripple effects of this pandemic bleeds into so many areas of our lives. And we have to take into consideration the mental health effects of it all. And our children are little people too. They are affected. They are affected. And so I decided to invite a respected educator and someone I've been meaning to have on the podcast for a long time. And, you know, I'm saddened that this is the time I had to have her on, but I'm so glad that I can have her share her thoughts right now because we are navigating school right now. We are navigating uncharted territories with home home learning with our children 
and what that looks like for the rest of the school year, what it looks like for the rest of the calendar year, what it looks like for kindergartners to college students, right? And so, yeah, we have an amazing guest um, coming up, and I can't wait for you guys to hear more from Dr. Nadia Lopez. Hi, I'm State Senator Kevin Parker, and I represent the 21st District in Brooklyn. I'd like to urge my constituents to remain alert and be aware of predators trying to exploit the coronavirus global pandemic. At this time, there are no cures, vaccines, or home test kits being offered for COVID-19. So please ignore any emails or calls asking you to purchase these items. If you receive any robocalls concerning coronavirus, just hang up. Do not press any buttons to have your number removed because it will just lead you to getting more robocalls. Please do your homework before choosing to donate to any charity claiming to be set up to help with the coronavirus pandemic. No one should ask you to donate via cash, gift card, or by wiring money. Be aware of whom you are buying products from online. Online sellers may claim to have in-demand products when in fact they do not. Check with the Better Business Bureau or look for online reviews before making purchases. And lastly, do not click on any links from email sources you do not know. You could potentially download a virus onto your device. Be especially wary of emails from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. For the most up-to-date information on coronavirus, I ask you to visit www.cdc.gov or contact the New York State Department of Health's 24-hour hotline at one 364 3065 or visit their website if you have questions or concerns. We're going to get through this together. Please stay home and stay safe. In my head. Dr. Nadia Lopez is pioneering a path of inspired leadership. The founding principal of Mott Hall Bridges Academy in New York City Public School became a viral sensation after one of her scholars, a young man named Vidal Chassinet, explained to photographer Brandon Stanton of the popular blog Humans of New York that Lopez was his biggest inspiration. Millions of people around the world discovered the positive learning environment, high expectations, and growing success rate at her school, which is located right in the middle of one of the most underserved communities in America. In 2015, a Humans of New York fundraiser raised $1.4 million to take Lopez's students on college trips that include Harvard University, summer STEAM programs, and to college scholarships. Lopez's story was shared across numerous media outlets and resulted in her guest appearing on The Ellen Show, visiting President Barack Obama at the White House, and receiving the Medal of Distinction from Barnard College. In addition, Lopez was honored alongside First Lady Michelle Obama with the Change Agent Award at the Black Girls Rock Show on BET. Lopez continues to impact the lives of children through her She Is Me and I Matter initiatives, which have served thousands of youth through Central Brooklyn by providing workshops, forums, and mentoring. Lopez continues to influence and inspire the world through her company, The Lopez Effect, which offers a blueprint for personal and organizational success. In my head, fam, Jay Birds, help me welcome to the podcast none other than Dr. Nadia Lopez. Welcome, Doc. Thank you so much. I appreciate the invitation. How are you feeling today? 
I'm feeling good today. I had a great um, early afternoon. Um, I got on a live today, so, you know, sometimes just serving in my purpose and allowing myself to share with others um, gives me the inspiration to get through another day. Well, I'm happy to know that you are indeed serving in your purpose. Um, We chatted a while back trying to get you in the podcast, and gosh, (laughs) I wish I had you in studio because I want to hug you. I really want to hug you. Uh, Thank you. Just to say thank you for the work that you have been doing in our community. Um, I had the chance to catch your state of the... Um, community address yeah state of the village address which you can find in the show notes of this episode guys um powerful 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 so i want to rehash a couple of things that you did mention on on your address but before that who is dr nadia lopez (laughs) dr nadia lopez is a proud brooklynite of Um, Caribbean and Latin American descent. I am a mom, first and foremost. I am the founder and principal of Mott Hallbridge's Academy, located in the Brownsville section of Brooklyn. I'm an author, a speaker, a believer um, in God and Christ. And most importantly, I'm an activist who fights on behalf of um, disenfranchised communities, especially our children who have been silenced. Wow. Um, by the powers that be. Wow. Caribbean and uh, Latin American uh, descent. Mm-hmm. What countries are we representing? Um, so it's Guatemala, Honduras, Jamaica, and extended family in Trinidad. Wow. You know what? I don't want this episode to be too somber. <laughs> I know, but COVID-19 has really, really been ravaging our communities, right? And Mm -hmm. um, I needed to have you on the episode specifically to talk about our children, our educational system, and even the mental health effects on our families. So just going back into your, your village address earlier, and let's just talk to my audience What's happening right now in New York City schools? Well, right now we are faced with um, tremendous budget cuts. So um, what I shared earlier was the fact that, you know, we weren't given ample amount of time to really plan um, to make sure every school was ready for the rollout that was needed to get online. Um, luckily, at Mount Hubbard's Academy, we had already started online classes, and our scholars were already prepared with the necessary emails that is easily transferable to Google Classrooms for them to get started. Um, but, you know, a lot of them lacked the type of technology that's needed to go online, um, as well as access to Wi-Fi. And so um, we had to make sure that, in addition to providing online classes, we would also provide them with backpacks um, that were created by the entire team for every subject area. They received packets um, as well as reading books because our scholars do not have access to reading books outside of the ones that we have in our school building. Um, So, you know, that was like the academic 
instructional side, but then, um, you know, there's the part about providing them with the mental health support that they need, as well as uh, special education services. We have a number of children, over 32% of our kids are um, receiving special ed services, but we have so many kids who are at risk that we really service about 75% of our kids with some type of academic intervention. Um, and then, you know, with all of that and knowing the complexities that we have to deal with on a daily basis, we're now looking at the fact that moving forward, when we get back to schools, there's going to be budget cuts as a result of um, the state deficit that's projected to be about $12 billion. And so after school programs will be cut, um, you know, those are the things that provide our scholars with enrichment. Um, being able to pay teachers their money that's, you know, required for them to work after school to provide tutoring services that will no longer be available. The arts program, the additional support that we have in terms of certain districts um, for the past three years have had additional staff members. Um, and, and that's in the form of guidance counselors and social workers based off of our student population and needs um, to meet the demands of those social emotional requirements. Um, wow. And even college career access, you know, like middle school for a lot of children is so pivotal. Um, and like the community that I serve, there's so many kids who have been recruited by gangs since they were in fourth or fifth grade or they're part of just families that are in gangs. So unless they see something different, they don't break the generational cycle. Um, cycle that, that they, they're born into. Um, so you're going to have a lot of children who won't have that access. And so that's the greatest fear that we're all facing now. So let's just go back a minute. Um, I remember sure. that the, the mayor of New York declared on the Sunday and then the governor, mm -hmm. I think later on that day, it was a Sunday evening that they said, okay, starting yep. tomorrow. <laughs> right. Yeah. That was how immediate the effect was. Right. That going into yep. starting tomorrow, schools are closed until we say so. So how yep. how did your team manage to prepare packets for your students on such short notice? And I'm thinking you had to prepare packets because not all of like you said before, not all yep. of your students have access to remote learning uh, equipment like tablets. Right. So how were you able to yeah. do that? Well, first and foremost, what, what happened is um, the governor had announced that New York City, because New York State was already preparing to close. Um, and although we're all in the same state, it just they operate differently. Um, and so New York State was closing their schools and a lot of the districts um outside of New York City closed by, let's say, the Wednesday or Thursday. New York State, um, New York City, we immediately closed. So the next day, um, which was the Monday, we were not allowed to go into the school building. And I guess it was really more about um, them trying to figure things out because it was such a, an abrupt stop to the school year. Right. Um, and then we were told we had to go in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, no, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, to prepare. So and they had no what plan. That like, there was no plan. What that looked like in terms of 
what the three days was supposed to be was really up to the discretion of schools, um, which in some cases, if schools are well-funded, if they have all the supplies that they need, if the families are well off, you know, that's not significantly harder as it is in communities where there's just a lot of things we have to put in place right. um, to ensure that children are getting services, support, access that they need. Um, so on the Monday, um, I had a, a meeting with my team. So I'm, I'm not currently at work and it's not like being at home remote like we are now. I physically have not been at work because I was on um, a medical leave um, dealing with a stress-related um, disease caused by work. And so I immediately, you know, communicated with the principal who's in charge, who's actually my assistant principal, um, Karen Cadogan. And it was just a matter of we need to we need to get the team leads on the phone and we need to get everybody um, support based on the phone and we have to come up with a plan so that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we're using the time effectively and everybody knows their roles and responsibilities right. um, because we cannot waste not one minute once we get into the building. Right. And um, essentially it was a matter of, we literally had to take inventory. So what do we know we have available in terms of technology? What do we know in terms of online services? What are the things, if we don't have that in place, if the children don't have that in place, what is our alternative that became the packet? Okay, what kind of packets do we need to create? That like, So we basically broke down, just like when, and the, and the good thing is that because I've opened up the school, all of the nuances that you have to think about, I already like, could, we could walk through that process. Um, so we really created a, like got down to the nuts and bolts of everything. Um, even down to how are we going to provide special ed services? How are we going to provide mandated counseling? And so when Tuesday came, we met with the team and was like, okay, you're going to break out into your groups. The team leads had their, um, what they were charged to do and what the expected outcomes were. And everybody was rocking and rolling. And so we got everything done. Um, the packets were made between two, Wednesday and Thursday morning. Um, we had contacted all of the families for them to pick up the packets between Thursday afternoon and Friday um, the entire day. And we gave them out over 210 packets. Um, so I have a, I have a question. With everything. Were all, did all of your students receive a packet? Yes, everyone had to receive a packet, and, every single person. And was the packet just for this semester or for the rest of the school year? So the packets had enough that it could last them, but it all depends on the child because there's just some children who are just able to finish the packets quickly, but it also depends on what their accessibility is. Right. So there are classes that are conducted online. Um, my teachers have video recorded uh, lessons. So scholars literally can go through a library of lessons. Um, there are online resources that they can use. So that's all built into our Google Classroom. Um, and then we also understand that there may be scholars who don't have access to Google Classroom, but they will have access to YouTube just because of their cell phone capabilities. Right. So we have an account, our own school account on Google, I mean, on YouTube. And so the scholars are 
they're able to access um, YouTube and the videos that are on YouTube as well. So it's a closed account for them. Um, so we thought about that as well because the reality is that there are children who are trying to access Google Classroom through a Kindle, through their Xbox, and through their cell phones. And it doesn't interface the same way. Um, but literally all they have to do is watch the video of the instruction and then do the work on in their notebooks and take a picture, and then they can send that to the teacher. Wow. So we've been really creative in how we, um, you know, interact with our scholars and allowing them to submit their work. And also being lenient in terms of, you know, you don't penalize them for what they're not able to do, yes. um, but really acknowledging what they're able to accomplish. Ooh, these are, un, you know, just unprecedented times. So the fact that you guys mm-hmm. are being very creative um, in reaching your scholars and that part of not penalizing them. I think yeah. we take for granted the pressures that children are even feeling they're caught at home, not with their teacher, but with their parent, who may not be as willing to assist them with their schoolwork or who may not even know how to begin to help exactly. them with their schoolwork. So just to think of the pressure that a lot of our students are, are dealing with, um, it's, it's hard. Now, the New York City Department of Education Chancellor said that all children who need devices will have devices by the end of April. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, so do that all... That is true. That, that is true. Um, there was a need for 300,000 devices um, in New York City. And so throughout the month of April, they have been distributing those devices. Children who um, were in temporary housing were prioritized. So they literally had people going to um, those shelters and handing them out. Um, And that's all well and good. Um, It's just a couple of things that, um, despite those efforts, are just concerning is the mere fact that the type of devices that they're getting are iPads, and iPads are good, um, but they do have their limitations. Um, you know, there's just certain things that you can do best on a laptop yeah. um, or a desktop as opposed to what you can do on an iPad. Um, and the other thing is that, you know, a lot of parents don't know how to access, as well as children don't know how to access um, various online platforms through the iPad. They they will know how to do, you know, Instagram or TikTok and Snapchat. Right. But the actual work that needs to be done, that's right. a whole different learning curve. For right. Um, which is something that we don't often take into consideration. Um, and then there's just multiple children in homes. Um, so we would hope that, you know, every child in the household gets it because if the parent might have signed up for one um, piece of equipment but they have four or five children in the household, that means that that has to go for the four or five children who have to be online as well. Right. So those are things we have to think about, um, but you know, we won't know until they get them and then we'll be advised. And, and as, as far as the schools are concerned, we just got a list last week, I mean this week, telling us, you know, what 
young people, which one of our scholars actually got lots of um, the handheld devices, which are the iPads, which ones are instilled in route, um, and those who may not have filled out the paperwork necessary in order to get them. Are you getting pushback from your students in, in regards to this new um, way of learning? Um, there have been some scholars who, not so much the pushback, but they're just overwhelmed, right? right? Um, you know, they, I love my scholars. They, they're willing to try, um, but we're such a hands-on school, and there are a lot of adults who throw themselves into the work of supporting the scholars um, and being available, not just in class, but outside of class. And so we recognize when we're in front of them, their frustrations and their willingness that's so easy for them to just give up um, and having to, you know, coax them through the process and reassuring them that they're not a failure, but they just need to recognize the process of learning. Now that they're at home, they don't have that same support. Right. And as you stated, they, they may have parents who, you know, we have parents who didn't graduate middle school or high school. Uh, we have parents who may be illiterate. We have parents who have college education but don't understand the way their kids are learning now today in this common core, age right? standards of mm-hmm. common core. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of gap. And so the child is feeling lost and alone in the process, even mm-hmm. though we're there virtually, but it's just not the same. Um Wow. But luckily, there's, you know, been the team has been diligent about spending time and talking the children through and creating one on one opportunities where they can actually try their best to give the scholars what they need, which is really attention and being able to listen to them. So uh, if you can share with us some stats mm-hmm. and data of your specific uh, community, I just recently had Carrie Edwards, the VP of External Affairs of Brookdale Hospital, which yeah. I know serves your community, one of the, yeah, I, I have to say, one of the poorest communities in New York City, right? And every mm-hmm. city has those communities and a lot of black and brown children, a lot of children of Caribbean parents, you know, reside in these areas. So if you can give us a, a bit more stats on on your on your community so we can really understand the grave need yeah. for help. Um so so Carrie is one of my dear friends. I consider Carrie to be a brother um just aside from work. Um but he's also been together we've been champions in our respective spaces. And he's been really instrumental in helping me navigate the healthcare system when it comes to my scholars. Because um, as he shared on your episode with him, um, how disenfranchised um, the community is and how underfunded it, it, it is as well, which is why oftentimes um, those who get there are not served um, as if they were in private hospitals in Manhattan. Right. Um, but the but the stats are this. Um, so when we look at it from an academic perspective, based off of the 2010 census, um, only 32% of our residents have a high school diploma and only 14% have a college degree. Um, the average income depends, it fluctuates. So there's $32,000 
um, but $11,000 is what the majority of people within the housing development make, um, which is where a a large number, percentage of our scholars come from. Wow. Um, We have the highest rate of health risk in New York City. So that means hypertension, any type of heart disease, cholesterol, diabetes, cancer, asthma, as well as HIV and AIDS. And for us, our age group for HIV and AIDS is 11 to 21. So what that means wow. is obviously children are um, having unprotected sex um, and they're contracting um, the virus. And, you know, and we have one of the highest pregnancy rates in New York City as well. So all of that um, wow. compounded with the fact that the healthcare system isn't the best. Um, that they're not able to meet the needs. We have so many of our young children who have mental health needs. Right. Um, I I have scholars who are on psychotropics. Hmm. And, you know, the the doses that they take, I'm going to be very honest, like... Please. You you would get it to a horse and it probably would knock a horse out. You know what I mean? Like, honestly... Um, because these children have been on some type of medication since they were like five or six, since the time they were school age. And um, I've worked with Carrie directly because of the mental health piece. You know, a lot of children need uh, psychotherapy. They need counseling. Um, But because Brookdale has such a high turnover rate, who they see as a psychologist, um, who does the testing, who does the evaluation or a psychiatrist, and who they actually get assigned to them, you know, can change. I've had my scholars have a new person every three months, um, which after a while, a child doesn't build trust. Right. Doesn't want to go back to the hospital for services. Right. Um, and a lot of times they get medication every 30 days. So you imagine if there's a family where the mom is a, is a single parent and she needs to go to work and on the 30th day she needs to get that um, prescription filled. But the only way she could get the prescription filled is that she physically has to go to the hospital. But if she goes to the hospital during the time that they need her to is during the time she has to be at work. So she's not willing to sacrifice wow. her work because she has to put food on the table for the medication and she'll just hope that the school can manage the child which often isn't the case. Um, And that's when problems happen in the classroom. And that's why you see such a high number of children, especially those with special needs and mental health issues being suspended out of our schools. So I have recognized that Carrie and I um, have been in the same fight to make sure that we get the kids what they need so that this way they don't become destructive or distracted in the classroom setting. and, you know, that helps to lower those suspension rates, but you have to get to the underlying cost, which is usually medical. Wow. Um, so that's what we deal with every single day. So just imagine that, that's the day-to-day work. And so now not to be at school, um, it's now falling on the parents who don't have that capacity to do it. In my head. Dr. Lopez. I am listening to you, and I know I started off by saying I want to give you a hug. I really want to give you a (laughs) hug. 
I really do. And, you know, as a parent of a child who's doing, you know, her class work remotely and who can handle it, right? I'm blessed. But there are many parents Mm -hmm. with one child who may have to work from home or who is trying to deal with this new normal and might be frustrated or have to deal with two or three children or may even be in a household or a living situation that may not be ideal for home learning, right? It's a lot for them, far less for teachers who serve, you know, 20, 25, 30 students per classroom. And I think, I think, you know, trying to find the good in everything, right? I think now in this season, we are so, if we weren't before, which a lot of us are, but now more than ever, we are so appreciative of our teachers and our educators because Mm -hmm. if we're just stressed out with one (laughs) and you have a whole school. So Mm -hmm. coming back to your mental health, how do you, how do you manage? How do you manage knowing that your students are taking medicine that may have serious adverse effects in the long run or you're serving a community where you are really giving of your own to make sure they don't become a statistic but they're kind of screwed from birth just based on where they're born how do you maintain your peace how do you take care of yourself when you're taking care of others just for this moment I want to focus on you It's funny you should ask that, though, you know, it's not something that's easy. That's primarily what I've had to work on for the past eight months um, that I wasn't at work was to really focus on myself, um, to go to therapy, like just even finding the right therapist. Um, So I go to a woman of color who has a background in working in education um, who doesn't just do traditional psychotherapy. Um, she actually engages in chakra readings and energy fields and helping me to learn how to breathe and how to meditate. Yes. Um, and that has been wonderful and helpful and unpacking some of my own traumas Um, and realizing how there has been trauma, vicarious trauma that I've been carrying from work. Um, Because, you know, one of the things about being a leader is that it could be a very, very lonely job. You know, I love my team. I love them dearly, but they're not my peers. Um, They're my subordinates. And I have to, there's just certain things that I cannot have conversations with them about. Um, and things that I have to manage um, that's coming from the top. And so that's what led me to get sick um, because I was internalizing so much. I wasn't taking breaks. I wasn't engaging in self-care. I wasn't letting go. I wasn't taking vacations. And if I did take vacations, along came the laptop, the iPad. Um, you know, I was, I was so attached to the work that I never put that much time and effort to myself. And so I had to develop a plan. I had to, my regimen was to become, to get a routine 
just focused on daily meditation, setting positive intentions, um, pausing, listening to my body, going to therapy, um, and appreciating everything that comes with life. I don't, I never, in the 10 years of being a school leader, um, I never took time to appreciate anything because you're just, especially when you're in communities um, that deal with so much poverty, you're always thrown the data that shows that you haven't done enough. Even though the the data itself is beyond my control a lot. Like what I get, I did not, I inherited. Right. It wasn't something that I created. That I created. Right. But they will make you feel like you it's did that. your fault and right. you're not doing good enough. And so I've had to really work on, I've had to work on that. Um, but ironically enough, I got to this great place of feeling good and and, and having routines in place. And the minute the pandemic happened and we shut down schools, the separation of healing from away from work, work then became part of my daily routine because everyone's now at home. Right. And so the concern, not just the concern for my scholars because my staff in the building managed everything and were good, but now you have the fact that people are dealing with death all day. Right. Um, People are feeling inadequate. People are feeling lonely. So I started to internalize again. And I recognized that because I started to feel like I was spiraling. I could literally feel it in my body that this isn't healthy. Um, so I've had to take pauses. I've had to take breaks. I've had to say no and set boundaries um, and re-engage in the practice of self, meditating, um, and then also because of that, forcing my team to know, like, it's okay to take pauses. It's okay to be flexible. And that's why I was very adamant on the live of saying to leaders, like, you can be as flexible as possible for your team right. because everybody's going through stress, Right. you know? Um, and we need to recognize that there are teachers who are parents um, and there are parents at home who are working and so we need to not be so rigid right. um, and be compassionate. And, um, yeah, so I, I have been taking pauses and grounding myself, connecting with Zoom, <laughs> getting, like, you know, having girlfriend get-togethers. Yes. Um, spending time with my daughter has been really, really important. Yes. Um, us just watching movies together. Yes. And, um, me braiding her hair, just doing the things, things you that want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy that you have that burst of light throughout your days now because yeah. at the end of the day, right? And and you have an amazing legacy right here, right now. But at the end of the day, <laughs> it's really how you feel about yourself. If you're not your best self, how can you give of yourself? If you are not full, yeah. how can you pour into others, right? And so I'm yeah. grateful to know that, you know, you sought therapy as an option. We promote therapy on this podcast. I'm an advocate for therapy, and thank you for saying that. And I think a lot of our educators also need to know now that it's okay to talk to someone. Mm-hmm. And specifically for our children, 
Now, I have a few questions yep. that uh, I got from a, a couple of my friends that I wanted to ask you, but one of them does have to deal with um, counseling, especially for your students who need. So has your district involved like school counselors and school psychologists right now? Um, and, and if so, are students and parents even receptive to teletherapy? Um, yeah. So we we have scheduled um, our counseling for all of our scholars, and um, I can't really speak for the district because I don't. I, I like we we haven't had a district meeting to sit down and discuss what that looks like. But I can tell you that um, as, as far as the expectations, so the special ed teachers and they all meet together. They have like. I believe it's like weekly meetings to talk about what they're doing. Um, but from a leadership standpoint, um, my counselor um, has been active. And honestly, it just comes down to building relationships. Um, parents are okay and open to whatever we need to do because they trust us. And that came before the pandemic. Right. Um, so our scholars are used to the phone and texting because that's what the counselor used to do before. Right. Um, you know, he didn't just do it during office hours. He was always clearly involved. And, and I have a social worker now and another guidance counselor. So they are all very much hands-on. Um, and to be quite honest, the parents, you know, have leaned on them as well for support. Right. So Good. the teletherapy, um, they're open to. It's, it's really harder for the elementary school children. How so? You know, the five- and six-year-olds. Well, you have five-, six-, seven-year-olds who need um, counseling, and they have short attention spans. Right. And so you're trying to provide them with counseling, and there's things that children go through, especially at that young age, um, that may involve an adult in their home right. so trying to have those conversations with them where the child can't be as open um wow. has been very concerning for a lot of my friends who are in the elementary space right um you know and not having that face-to-face -face contact with the children just to make sure that they are okay right you know um so but yeah we've been able to do the support for the kids as the sounds of New York City plays in my background. <laughs> okay. So I really can't hear it. Okay. <laughs> so Miss Tomlinson, an NYC educator, wanted me to ask you this. Compliance around special education and IEP mandates have been very unclear and in many ways avoided since the start of distant learning. How are teachers mm -hmm. expected to fulfill IEP sets mandates for respected students? Um, so again, because of our flexibility, it, it really comes down to what does it look like in the school and how transparent the schools are with providing services. Um, so, you know, if it's set, what sets means is pretty much what parents would understand as pull out or pushing where the special ed teacher pushes into a classroom or pulls the scholar out to do one-on-one. -on -one. Um, for us, the way our schedule is structured, 
teachers are pushing into the classroom to support the scholars. Um, and if need be, they will schedule with the main teacher that they need to pull them out to work with them um, in a separate classroom one-on-one. Um, but the mandates are expected to be followed. You just have to be creative as to how you do it. And like I said, it really comes down to how the vision, the school has actually put forth the vision online. Um, My team and how we do things has been really, I would say, done well only because the way we did our schedule, the way we set everything up, our special ed teachers are very flexible in how they can push into different classes um, and make sure that they're meeting the mandates of our caseloads. But there's, there's just a lot of schools that the principal just really didn't have a clue of how to set the school up. Special education was just not a concern. It was just a matter of let's just get classes online and then everything will fall in place. Um, like I said, we have so many kids who are special needs that that was part of the forefront when we started putting things into place. Um, What's the percentage of special so needs students in your school? 32%. Wow. Um, so that is a total of 60 scholars. So that means just across every grade level, there are children um, in just about every class, there are children with special needs. But um, a total, we vary between 75 to 80% of our scholars. Um, have academic intervention because they may not be uh, diagnosed um, or have gone through the evaluation process to be labeled with some type of learning disability, Right. Um, but they're not on grade level. They read on a second or third grade re- reading level, right? So they're at risk and they need that support. So, um, And in times like these, we really see flawed school systems, right? If mm-hmm. if these yeah. if, if if these weren't already active in a particular school, then now you will really see a lot of teachers or principals really catching their mm-hmm. behind because it, they never had these things implemented in a strategic right. way. Um, Pana Poto, founder of Sailing Artistic Seas, asked. What strategies can parents of children with disabilities utilize at home to minimize regression? So here's the thing: um, I it would be it would be easy for me to you know rattle off a list of what can parents do. Um, not knowing what the children um, have specifically um, makes it a little bit more difficult. But one of the things I would say is. First and foremost, parents need to reach out to the special needs teacher um, because they have been using strategies that the child is used to um, in the classroom. And so you don't want to reinvent the wheel if there's a strategy that's already in place that can be of most benefit to your child because every every child learns differently right. and how they relate um, is really personalized. To who they are as a learner. Um, the second thing I would say is that parents have to be receptive and open to observing their children. A lot of times what happens is you have a lot of parents with children who are special needs who just never took time to learn how to support their kids best because they've left, they've left it up to the schools because they trust that the school is more equipped 
And so some of it is just uh, pure observation, listening and talking to the child to see what it is that um, they are able to do um, and then working from there. There's a lot of online resources as well um, that parents can go on YouTube. They can do Google and literally, um, depending on what the learning disability is that your child has, um, or just writing out, how can I help my child um, with reading, right? Something as simple as that. There will be a number of videos that will come up um, and a number of strategies that's available for them to use. Um, but I would dare to say the best thing is to speak to the uh, special ed provider. Um, but I also know that there's oftentimes not enough, there's not, there, we don't have good special ed providers, depending on the schools, who have the capacity themselves. Um, so organizations like the person who asked the question, providing resources as well, um, is, is definitely important because you have children who are autistic and that's difficult. There are a lot of parents who just, it requires a lot of patience and understanding and um, especially if you're a working parent and you have this child with needs, they tend to be a little bit more frustrated because it's really, it's really about them feeling inadequate as a parent yes. um, rather than looking at the gaps of the child or the needs of the child. So, you know, reaching out to um, associations that's, um, that's connected to the disability that your child has can also be a resource because they may have um, either a link that you can, you know, reach, that you can look on at lo online or there may be some materials that they can send that can be a benefit. And I'll try to provide some resources in this episode's show notes. I think you also mm -hmm. touched on a point that in observing your child, you may be able to see, well, I see what your school's been doing, but based on my observation with you, I see that you take to this particular approach or you've been doing this. So yeah. there's a lot to learn, um, especially mm -hmm. hands-on as a parent. So being mindful yeah. that maybe the approach the school has been using may not have been the right approach if you pay attention, right? Um, there's another question um, from Mrs. Raffaelli out of the New York City School um, District. She asked, what are your thoughts on schools reopening in the fall or sooner with no vaccine? And do you think it's possible to be physically distant in these dense schools with high number of students per classroom that house hundreds of students? Well, no. So starting with that question, it's not possible. And that's how we got to this place in the, you know, in the first place. Um, mm -hmm. Because uh, people are sharing space in such an intimate way, it's virtually impossible for um, there not to be some type of contact or exposure. Um, the reality is that in schools, not beyond corona, just regular cold, right? Like just cold that children get. Um, anyone who works in, a, in, in the elementary school setting especially knows that it just takes one child to come in sick. Oh, they are petri dishes. A cold. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's a petri dish. The entire class gets sick and then eventually the teacher gets sick and then the other teachers get sick and then it goes around the whole entire building, right? right? And so um Safety needs to come first. 
And the reality is that we're not going to have a vaccine um, fully implemented and ready to go by uh, September, just because just the process, um, the trials that have to be conducted first and all of the research that needs to be done before they can really in a solid manner say that this is going to work and that we can inoculate um, any future uh, pandemic from happening it's in terms of corona. Um, so we all want to return back to school, but we have to listen to those who are more qualified to determine whether or not that's best. Right. Um, and it's just not, you have to think about this, it's just not with our K-12 schools, it's also colleges as well. So, right. like, my daughter is in college. Um, she goes to school in Georgia. And the fear right now for her is, like, school is not going to start back in August. Um, you have a lot of schools that are now saying they're not going to return back until January 2021 wow. in terms of individuals actually physically being able to move back on campus or having classes on campus just because a lot of universities have international students. So right. as the state is now, in, you know, hitting their quote-unquote apex, and it all depends on what state you're in, um, there are a lot of countries that their apex won't hit until September. So, you know, the fear is while we may be getting better by being under a stay-at-home mandate, you know, we can have a resurgence again because people traveling and exposure. Right. Um, so the long and the short of it, I, I do believe that we need to do all of the testing that we can to make sure we know who has it, um, who may have been exposed and doesn't have it. But it's not to say that they won't get it. Um, and then making sure that the public is absolutely safe, especially when it comes to our schools. Thank you for that. We're winding down, but, um, you know, a lot of our students in New York City public schools have breakfast in school, lunch in school, and if they stay for after-school programs, they even get an early dinner, right? Um, yeah. Summer is fast approaching, and mm -hmm. we have our after-school programs, and we have our summer programs, a lot of kids look forward to summer programs, not just for activities with their friends or learning activities, but the mere fact that they can get a hot meal in the morning or at lunchtime or in the evening. What provisions do you know of that the city intends to continue from now throughout when school reopens in terms of our, our students who do depend on school lunches? So we, we have not stopped providing um, the three meals a day. Um, and it's not only been um, focused solely on children of New York City public schools, but anyone who is in need. So the, the school doors have been opened um, to provide meals for anyone in need. Wow. Um, they're, they're actually grab and go, though. So they're not allowed to come in and sit down in the cafeteria. So in the past, especially like during summertime, Families would come, they would eat at the lunch table, um, you know, have their meals, and then leave. There are um, food, um, the food workers, the cafeteria workers, who literally make the food and put them in bags 
and we'll go to the front of the school um, in the vestibule area and then just hand out the bags to whoever comes. Right. Um, and they are, they, are, they are providing breakfast, lunch, and dinner um, for all, all individuals who need it. So that's not going to stop. Um, they're going to continue to do that. Um, and what about our after-school programs and our summer programs? When we talked about funding. Um, yes, yes. So they won't be able to, let's say, they're not going to have programming, but they'll still have access to food. Um, they're not going to put those programs in place at all um, just because, one, there's just no way of doing it. There's right. no way of ensuring the health safety of people right now. And there are a lot of after-school programs that are, um, that you guys, you have these vendors that come into the mm -hmm. school system that, that provide their services, and a lot of them are black and brown owned, that are losing yep. out on funding from the Department yep. of Education this year. It really is a wash for a lot of people. There are a lot of families who are out of jobs, not working, wasn't working before, not working now. A lot of people in our community, it's it's affecting us on so many levels, from economically to physically to mentally, spiritually. Um, Dr. Lopez, I, I applaud you. I applaud you. I know you said the Thank best you, way to... To stop a prison is to open a school. Yeah. And right now we see how this pandemic is really showing the weaknesses in our society. And it's scary. It's scary if our kids are not getting their education and they fall prey to those generational curses that run in their families. Right. Um, it's scary. Yeah, it is definitely. so it's so scary. So. I thank you for taking time out of your day. Is there anything you want to share with us before you go? A matter of fact, in, in your in your conclusion or in your closing, I also want you to speak to those parents who are frustrated right now because they mm -hmm. don't know how to help their kid with their schoolwork or for mm -hmm. whatever issues they're dealing with at home. It's, it's very difficult to maintain their own peace and then take care of someone else. So with that, I will say to the parents, um, you know, you have to let go of the feeling of of the need to be um, perfect. You know, this is this is not a time for perfection. Um, we're all learning. We are all learning as we go. The best thing for you to do is be transparent with your child. Um, and 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 what I mean by that, be as open and honest, and say, I don't know. You know, this is hard for me just like it's hard for you, and I'm willing to figure it out. You have to reach out to the schools, reach out to the teachers, ask for help. Um, I've said plenty of times that parents need to learn how to advocate and use their voices, but also put things in writing. Um, because there are some schools that are going to offer the help that's needed, and then there's just some who will ignore the parents. And as far as I'm concerned, children are a gift that they they allow us to have access to. Um, and because of that, parents have every right um, to demand, to require, to, to receive the support that's needed to support their children. Um, so 
be okay and sit with, I don't know, um, schedule time in terms of being intentional about how you spend your day. Um, verbalize to the school if you need flexibility. Make sure that you put self-care into your schedule. Make sure that you include activities with your child. So it's not just about academics, because sometimes the frustration is because you're not good at the academics, you don't spend time doing the things that are simple and enjoyed by your children, like cooking with each other, right. um, watching a favorite show, right. um, the lighthearted things that allow you to rekindle and build relationships with your children. Because at the end of the day, your children just want you. And this is hard for them because they've learned to separate home from work. And, and work for them is being in the school building. Right. Um, so they may seem a little frustrated because school has provided them with a different type of discipline, a different type of structure. Um, and so they know this is when I get into the building, this is the things that I have to do. And when they're home, there's a different type of approach. Um, so it's just about getting routines in place, being honest and transparent, and not being so hard on yourself. Be, you know, forgive yourself for this. Because none of us ask for any of it. Right. Um, as far as um, what my parting words would be is that we can't stop after the pandemic fighting for education and demanding of our elected officials to ensure that there are policies in place that protect us, protect our children, especially black and brown children um, who are in communities that have been disenfranchised who don't have the adequate funding that they need, um, where there's just such a heavy emphasis more on state exams than there are on providing mental health services, providing art programs, providing all of the enrichment activities that they need to thrive. Right. Um, we have to hold them accountable. And this is, this is a voting year, not just for the president, but for so many seats um, that are in Congress. Um, you know, our representatives who are actually the ones making the decisions that filter down to the city and state. And we have to make sure that we also hold those individuals accountable as well. Right. Um, and, and please also, go in and fill out the census. It's census.gov. Yeah. Please fill out your census form. Definitely. And it's 10 questions. It's, I don't know if it's 10 questions, but it's not that long. Like, it isn't. I didn't realize how short it is, especially when you do it on the computer. It's so short. Right. Um, it's unbelievable. Um, but we have to advocate because we're going to go back to our lives and in whatever way normal will look like for us at that point. And we would have possibly forgotten about all that we've endured because there will be a sense of relief that kids will go back into their schools. We will go back to work. We will be you know, living our best lives or trying to get there. But there are still problems that we need to fix. What are going to have to endure in education? Right. You know, the budget cuts. This will have lifelong effects on so many. So we have to keep fighting and we have to keep showing up. And as a village, we need to support. You don't often have to have money to support schools. Just your resources, human capital, and showing up could be a blessing. Use your voice. How can we support you and your students at Mahal Bridges Academy? Um, we have 
we have one a website m h b a brooklyn so that's m is in mary h is in harry b is in barry a is in adam brooklyn dot com um you can always reach out to us um via our our website um and whatever you can offer as support um our director of programs is constantly on their fielding um the different individuals who are able to support the school whether it's financial or through resources as being human, human capital volunteering time um because for every single person it could be different right and we never want folks to feel like if they don't have a dollar to spare that they're not just as valuable by being present so if they could send an email um to mhbabrooklyn.com um, and go on that site um that would be extremely helpful is there anyone you want to shout out real quick as we wrap up episode 36 <laughs> <laughs> i i want to shout you out you know um i want to thank you for creating a platform and especially reaching um our caribbean families because you know what having been sick and going through the um the healthcare system as educated as i am um it did not matter because when you go to certain hospitals it's a class right. it's a class system and i've watched so many of our people be treated unfairly in the healthcare system um which is no different from how they are often treated in the education system and so by you using this platform bringing people on to share experiences to provide resources to shed light on the things um that really need to be spoken about but never never had is given more than 5 minutes um in the media is so important so you know we have to big you up we have to keep supporting listening and sharing um because if we don't um it is a disservice so thank you why am I crying? <laughs> oh, man. And I know it's not easy because starting anything, you know, so many people don't believe, so many people don't show up, so many people don't want to be a guest. Who are you listening? Who's your listeners? It's all of these things. And it's not even about that. It's like if two people can hear, you don't know how those two people's lives you can change. So I want you to just stay encouraged. God gave you a gift. He really, really did. Um and it's no chance it's by chance that we met each other um connected um at the award ceremony where you were being honored alongside um my sister Renee Hastick um and so you know in honor of Dr. Roy Hastick who was one of my mentors you know he always was about community and so we have to help each other um so you know when those days get tough draw on those who always believed in you because you have you have such a large reach of cheerleaders who love and respect you um and if people don't show up there'll there'll be at least five people who will those are the most important ones dot to lopez if i didn't love you before <laughs> i love you so much more now for pouring into my spirit and i know as a leader that you understand what it feels like to feel depleted when you have a vision mm-hmm. and you're trying to help people and people don't want to they don't they don't see it. They don't see it until you make front page of a newspaper. Oh yeah, I always believed in her, right? This this yeah. mental health work is not glamorous. 
right? It's it's we're not doing it for likes on social media. People don't even want to sit with themselves during this lockdown. They feel very uncomfortable being alone yeah. by themselves in their own thoughts, right? Sitting in their own mess. Yeah. And so, thank you for pouring into my spirit, man. You gonna make you just made me cry on my own goddamn show. <laughs> my god we in new york city love and support you anything you need you know the team here at in my head we have your back i will have links in the show's episode and how you can reach out to dr nadia lopez and mahal bridges academy in whatever you can whatever you can to to support those people those young people and their families in brownsville they need you dr lopez it was a pleasure (laughs) <laughs> it was an absolute pleasure. I can't wait to get the studio when all is done. <laughs> I will be there. I promise. Wonderful. Have yourself a great remainder of your evening. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being a guest on In My Head. In My Head. Hi, I'm State Senator Kevin Parker, and I represent the 21st District in Brooklyn. Handwashing is still one of the best ways to protect yourself and your family from COVID-19. I want to make sure that you're aware on how to properly do so. Washing your hands with soap and water can keep you healthy and prevent the spread of germs. If soap and water are not readily available, then you can use an alcohol-based hand sanitizer that contains at least 60% alcohol. But remember, hand sanitizer only reduces the number of germs present and can only be used twice before hand washing is necessary. Now, key times to wash your hands are preparing to eat food. Before you eat food, after you've been in public places and have touched items or surfaces, be sure to wash your hands or use hand sanitizer. Also, after touching buttons, doors, knobs, or handles. After handling money, before touching your eyes, nose, or mouth are also important. Before and after caring for someone at home who is sick. After using the toilet, after blowing your nose, coughing, or sneezing, and certainly after touching garbage. When washing your hands, please follow these five steps every time. Wet your hands with clean running water, warm or cold. Then apply soap. Lather your hands by rubbing them together with soap. Lather the back of your hands between your fingers and wrists and under your nails. Scrub your hands for at least 20 seconds. Need a timer? Hum happy birthday song from the beginning to the end twice. Rinse your hands well under clean running water and then dry. Dry your hands using a clean towel or air dry them. Life is better with clean hands, and I encourage everyone to make hand washing part of your everyday life. Stay home, stay healthy, and stay informed. Remember, we're only going to get through this together. In my head. Wow. (laughs) How do I have a guest? How I go have a guest come on my own show and make me cry. <laughs> it happens all the time, though. <laughs> but thank you so much, Dr. Lopez, for just pouring back into my spirit. Thank you, guys. Thank you to my Jaybirds who have been religiously down with me from the first episode. And to my new Jaybirds who've caught on recently and have fallen in love with the content that I produce right here on In My Head. It means a lot that you listen. 
it will also mean a lot to me if you would share this message. There's so many people that can get value out of each and every episode. So please share the In My Head podcast with your network. Share it on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, uh, on shit. You can share it on MySpace. You can share it on, on, on LinkedIn. You can share it on High Five. You can share it on your AOL Messenger. I don't care. <laughs> just share it. <laughs> please just share it. Um, and if you can, use the hashtag, the official hashtag, Head with JB. In- Have you been having difficulty with your child's remote learning? Use the hashtag HeadWithJB and let us know on social media. Wrapping up yet another episode. Thank you guys so much for always tuning in to In My Head. Before I go, I want to acknowledge yet another death in our Caribbean community caused by COVID-19 and its complications. So love goes out to Mr. Conrad Eiffel's family, the owner of the famous Conrad's Bakery right here in Brooklyn, uh, a, a mainstay of mine. I absolutely love that bakery and it's very heartbreaking to hear that we lost Mr. Eiffel, a Trinidadian immigrant. So much love to each and every person who has lost a loved one over these last few days, over this last month. (laughs) Sending you love, light, and healing energy. In the meantime, please don't forget we're here each and every Wednesday right here on your favorite podcast platform. This has been another episode of In My Head.